Thanks for tuning in to NL News Day. I hope you're all having a lovely afternoon. Now, here's a bit of a news flash for you, but it's hot outside. So what can you do to make sure you're beating the heat, keeping yourself safe and healthy? And also, what signs should you look for to know if somebody may be succumbing to the warm weather? Well, I'm pleased to welcome to the show now Interior Health Medical Health Officer, Dr. Sue Pollock. Dr. Pollock, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm well, thank you. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. So uh, I'll start with a bit of a personal question here, but uh, what are you, what's your opinion on the hot weather? Do you, do you like it when it's really hot, or is this maybe even too extreme when we're talking temperatures getting up to 40 here in Kamloops this weekend? Yeah, you know, I like the heat as much as the next person, but I think even that's a little bit too hot for me. And um, it's also a little bit early to be um, experiencing such warm temperatures across the entire region. We're still... We're still in uh, mid-June here, so a little bit surprising to see the heat so early. Definitely, for sure. So with that in mind, here's uh, the nice segue into some of how people can keep themselves safe. So for starters, I guess, who is most at risk here? Who should be paying the most attention to keeping themselves cool and hydrated here this time of year? Mm-hmm. So I would say everybody is at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody who spends a significant amount of time outside in these extreme temperatures, um, you know, could be at re- risk of heat-related illness. Um, <clears throat> so everybody should be careful and be watching out for those signs and symptoms, which we can talk about. Um, the groups that we're most concerned about are um, at the sort of the two ends of the age spectrum. So the very young, so our infants and young kids, but also our older adults. Um, so those are two of our age groups we need to keep a close eye on. Um, <clears throat> but there are others as well. So there are individuals we know living in our communities who have underlying um, health conditions like heart and lung conditions, so they could be at higher risk, um, as well as those who are working outdoors. So a lot of people are out there in the, in the heat, uh, maybe working on top of buildings or out in gardens, so they could be at, at higher risk, um, as well as those who don't have access to an air-conditioned space. So um, I think here in the interior region, uh, Many of us in our homes have air conditioning compared with, say, the lower mainland, but, uh, but not everybody does. Um, and so uh, we do need to watch out for our uh, neighbors and friends who may not have an air conditioned space to go into. All right. So with that in mind, uh, what are some of the things to look out for? If you're worried about someone who maybe has been outside too long or if someone does fall into those concerning age categories, which you mentioned, what are some of the things to kind of pay attention to here? Mm-hmm. So... It's great. So we should all be looking out for those signs and symptoms, not just in ourselves, but in our family members as well. Um, So the range of heat-related illness um, really goes from mild to severe. So people can um, start out with some um, muscle cramps, and then they can develop heat exhaustion where they're just going to be feeling, um, they're going to be feeling quite tired, um, probably a bit weak. Um, They'll be sweating quite profusely. Um, and then that can progress into more severe heat-related illness. Um, so people might start to get a headache. They might start to feel dizzy. Um, and at the, you know, the most severe end of the spectrum, um, start to feel a bit confused. Um, they might uh, hallucinate. Their skin will be very red, hot, and dry. Um, and they can also uh, have a decreased level of consciousness. And, and when we get to that um, end of the spectrum, that is a medical emergency. So we do need to ensure that, that those individuals are seeking medical care right away. Is there anything people should be doing if they notice someone, you know, has those symptoms that you just uh, kind of ran down there? You mentioned if it's a medical emergency, obviously you should be calling health officials mm-hmm. to figure something out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is it getting people into a, a shaded area or, or mm-hmm. getting some water? Like what sorts of things should they do immediately? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are exactly the things that, that should be happening. So certainly moving out of the heat. Um, so moving into cooler areas um, that may be under a tree in the shade, that may be um, inside an air-conditioned building, um, and making sure those people get uh, get plenty of fluids um, and want to drink nice, cool fluids. Water is probably the best option for people, um, <clears throat> and to avoid alcohol. Um, and then just ensuring that people are um, trying to avoid um, activities that are occurring during the middle of the day, right? So. We, you know, ask that uh, that employers are looking out for their employees um, who might be working out there in the hot sun and making sure they're getting free, frequent breaks and have access to shade and they're staying hydrated. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, avoiding alcohol. I'm just curious, you know, how concerning it could be if someone is outside. You know, it's really, really nice out. Maybe they're going uh, onto the beach and they want to have a, a beverage or two while they're, while they're out there. Is there increased cautions that come with, with consuming alcohol on a hot day? Yeah, so um, just in terms of using substances in general, so alcohol or um, variety of drugs can impact our ability to regulate heat. Um, so certainly people may want to enjoy a, you know, a cold beer on the beach. Um, so again, trying to alternate that with, uh, with say, water um, and um, try to stay in the shade. Uh, wearing sunscreen is important, but certainly keeping the water handy would be very important. Okay, so we've talked a lot about what could happen if you're in the heat for too long and, and you don't take the proper steps to, to protect yourself. So what can we do to avoid seeing that in the first place? That's probably the, the prevention thing is probably more important here than anything. So what can people do to avoid getting to a point where they're starting to see these symptoms come up? Mm-hmm. So I would ask people to think about their neighbors, um, think about those who are more vulnerable in our communities um, who may not act, have access to those um, air-conditioned spaces and to check in on them. So it's something we can all do with our neighbors and our community members. So check in on maybe it's, um, maybe it's older adults, seniors living in our communities who may live alone, um, maybe people who are underhoused and living, living out on the streets who may need some support. Um, so we need to look out for each other during these extremely hot times. Um, and just avoiding, uh, really, we need to put our exercise on hold, right, during these heat waves, certainly during the daytime anyways, and, and either, you know, if we need to exercise, do that indoors or do it during the cooler times of the day. Um, and just a good public health uh, prevention measure is wearing sunscreen. So, of course, as our um, UV goes higher, we're more susceptible to sunburns, so we're using sunscreen as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, always something I, I think I tend to forget about once I've spent a little bit of time outside, right? It's You put it on before you go out, but if you forget to do that, sometimes it uh, is something that you, you don't think about afterwards, and that can be a definite issue for sure, right? Uh, I, I want to ask, just because uh, I have you on the line here, and, and we have one guy in our newsroom who, who's been really adamant about uh, getting these terminology right, what actually is heat stroke? Because he keeps saying heat stroke is when you've actually, you know, died. That's what heat stroke technically is. Is that true? Is that actually the case? Because a lot of people would say the word heat stroke, not thinking that it's uh, as severe maybe as it actually is. Yeah, so so that spectrum I mentioned before, heat cramps up to heat stroke, um, and heat stroke can lead to death. So heat stroke is those more severe symptoms. People may be hallucinating. Um, they could have seizures. They could become unconscious. So that's the the you know, where we don't want people to get to, we want to avoid people getting into that heat stroke because it can lead to death. And we do know there is, um, there are deaths that occur um, in during extreme heat waves. We've seen that in other parts of the world and other parts of Canada as well um, over the past few years. 
Uh, Dr. Pollock, I think that pretty much wraps up all the questions that I had on this current heat wave that we're going through. And I think there's some really good information in there for people to keep in mind. I was hoping just while I have you on the line and if I could ask you just a question or two when it comes to this pandemic, because it seems like interior health is maybe lagging a bit behind other jurisdictions right now across the province. We're seeing numbers go down right across BC, which is great, but seems to be not moving quite as fast in a downward trend throughout the interior. And I'm wondering if there's any particular reasons why that might be the case. I think uh, maybe vaccination rates are a little bit lower in IH compared to the other health authorities uh, across British Columbia. Is there anything that seems to be an issue in interior health compared to elsewhere when it comes to COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I would agree with you. We have seen a slower decline in case numbers here in the interior compared with um, some other parts of the province. Um, it's really hard to pinpoint what that is. We see, we're continuing to see uh, a little bit more activity in the Okanagan corridor than in other parts of the interior health region. Um, so we do know there still are, uh, there's still community transmission happening and, and we will continue to see cases um, as we roll out our immunization program. Um, so anywhere that virus can, can take hold and infect somebody, it will. Um, and that's why the both doses of the vaccine are so important to provide the best protection. Um, I will say that um, several weeks ago, we were seeing 30 to 40 cases a day across the interior. Um, and more recently, we're seeing closer to 20. So not just provincially, but now in interior health, we're starting to see a, a steeper decline in cases. And um, just ask people to, um, if they haven't yet received their dose one or need to get their dose two, um, to go on the Interior Health website and they can look at um, how to best go about doing that. There's lots of opportunities for people through mobile clinics, um, through our existing mass clinics, extended hours and, and drop-ins to get dose one and dose two. I, based on, on that, I mean, I know it seems like it's pretty easy to go about getting your, your vaccination at this point in time. I got mine very, very quickly once I registered online. Is it safe to say, like, if you haven't got a first dose yet, it's kind of on you to, to make sure you're getting that? Because... The opportunities seem to be very much out there to go about getting a dose if you want one. Yeah, so we know that about 70% of our um, population 12 years and over across the interior health region has received their dose one. Actually, that's a little bit higher in the Kamloops area, which is great news. Um, so we know that first, uh, that first day, 70% of individuals really eager to get their vaccine um, and will be eager to get their dose two as well. Um, for the remainder of people who have not yet, um, it just may be a convenience factor, um, right? So we are making it as accessible as possible for people to get their dose one vaccine. And that's why we have um, drop-in clinics set up and we have a mobile urban clinic now. So these are the opportunities for people who have not yet gotten their dose one to get it really easily. They don't need to, um, they don't need to pre-register. They can just show up and get their dose one vaccine. So we encourage everyone to do that. Perfect. And uh, just last thing I'll ask on this, and then I will let you go, but just, uh, you know, we're looking ahead to a summer. We're going through this heat wave right now. People are looking to get moving, get outside, and maybe start planning some uh, movement throughout the province of BC and maybe into elsewhere. Just your confidence level right now that we're going to be seeing. A, a, it's not going to be a normal summer, but it's going to be pretty close, it feels like, uh, other than like the international travel factor, obviously. But are you, are you feeling pretty confident that we're going to have a pretty good COVID-safe summer here across the interior and, and in BC as a whole? Yeah, I'm certainly, I'm certainly feeling hopeful about that right now. Uh, we did move into our step two of restart plan for BC um, last week. And we're looking to July 1st when we move into step three, and that will really be dependent on 
the continued decline in cases and continued increase in our immunizations as well as hospitalizations, stabilizations. So feeling pretty good about it, but um, it will be important um, through the summer to continue with some of those things we've learned how to do really well. Um, and we do know that close contact does drive this infection. So um, the more people we get immunized with two doses, I think the better summer we will have. Absolutely. Dr. Pollock, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy, so thank you so much for carving out a few minutes for me here today and have yourself a wonderful afternoon. Thank you very much. Awesome stuff. Dr. Sue Pollock right there, Interim Chief Medical Health Officer with the Interior Health Authority, joining me here this afternoon to talk heat and COVID. Now, uh, I think you've probably heard the COVID numbers, but if you have not, well, let's just say everything that I just mentioned there with Sue is seeming to be true. 87 new cases across the province over the last 24 hours, but 41 of those coming in interior health. Fraser Health, 30 new cases, 13 in Vancouver Coastal, 3 on Vancouver Island, none in the north, and 41 in interior health. Now, it looks like the problem areas right now, based on the maps that we we're seeing, so we just got our data released today. Every Wednesday, they put out the more localized data where it looks at local health area and breaks things down even further. Kamloops is doing pretty well, but the one problem area of interior health seems to be and the southeast, Windermere, kind of in there, in the Kootenays there, those are where the hotspots are right now. Gotta wonder if it has anything to do with being right next to the Alberta border, if somehow that is a factor. I'm not saying it is, but, you know, some speculation from myself would lead me to believe that maybe that might be part of the uh, issue they're experiencing there right now.